What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Real Sports Science Podcast. I'm David. He's Matt. Let's go. We have got another guest. I think this is guest six or seven in a row. We got Seb Sherwood coming on today. Matt, do you know Seb Sherwood? I don't know. I'm really not sure. Um, oh, mate, I don't know why my heart is killing me. My, my heart. Um, I'm really not <laughs> sure. But uh, I think he goes to Tunbridge Juddians, David. Uh, he's the head coach of Tunbridge Juddians. I mean, we're like this. He'll tell you. Me and him are like this ever since I started in so, August with them. So for um, anyone who doesn't mates. know, Seb Sherwood is is Matt's boss. So stay tuned to find out if if Matt still has a job after this episode is. So I tell you what, I don't know. He said this something. Podcast, I, though, we I went... just saw I saw Seb shoot me a couple looks. I was like, I don't know if this is going well anymore. He almost quit the podcast five minutes in, didn't he? He said, if somebody calls me that one more time, I'm out of here. He also said that like. The game today is uh, in all the way in Leeds, but we play the Southeast Division. Uh, no, sorry, we play National Two League East. Uh-huh. But uh, he said the game's in Leeds, so I'm not sure if he might be taking me to the wrong place or not. Um, like, yeah, but yeah, I'll tell you what, here. this send podcast. Him up, send him up north. Yeah. Uh, Matt, games in Leeds, mate, games in Leeds, but it's actually in Dorking. So, you know, could be sent for a little, uh, sent to the shops for that one. Um, but no, this <laughs> podcast, we spoke about so many different things. I mean, we spoke about him going to New Zealand as a data analyst, then coming with England to be a training coordinator. Now he's a coach with Tunbridge Juddians. I mean, the guy has chosen every career path. You know how we all struggle to find jobs in sports science? I mean, this guy has just gone, oh, I want that one. Go into that. Oh, actually, I like that one. Just drop into that. He's dropped into every single alignment that we want to go to. But I'll tell you what, it was great to figure out how he did it. And then the struggles that he found along the way. Yeah. Also some funny this stories as well. with England, like World Cup rugby. So he's worked with some of the Semi-final. best athletes in the world which is unbelievable. Uh, and now he's stuck with me chomping his ear off. <laughs> yeah, with your bad ideas. No more squats, no more squats. Yeah. Squats are bad. <laughs> Guys, legs, legs is not a good idea. Um, all right, should we head right into it, David? Hi, guys. Welcome to this next episode of the RSS podcast. Today, we've got Seb Sherwood in. Seb has had an array of different opportunities. He's been in Chiefs New Zealand. He's come back to work with the RFU. He's now at Tunbridge, where I currently work at. So we know each other very, very well. Um, I'm hoping to have a job by the end of this podcast, but we'll see. Um, so yeah, just hello, Seb Sherwood. I, it feels weird saying your last name. Yeah, I know. I know. Thank you for having me, both. I'm excited to be here. Do people call, do people call you Seb or, or do you also have a nickname? Shirzy? I don't know. Sebs, um, Sebsy. No, nah, it's definitely not that one. <laughs> um, no, nah, not really like Seb, Sebastian, if I'm in trouble. Um, That's what Matt calls you all the time. Yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a bit weird, like really overly formal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Says Mr. Sorry, Sebastian, as well. I'll be better next week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nah, Seb, some people used to call me Seabass, but nah, Seabass. just Seb. Nice. That's Someone called me Sebi once. I didn't like that too much. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> I'll keep that Noted. In. Noted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. The podcast is over. If someone starts calling me Sebi, I'm, I'm out straight away. <laughs> oh, amazing stuff. So yeah, if you could just tell uh, tell the listeners a bit about you and what has brought you essentially to this podcast, how your life has led to this. Okay, cool. I'll start 18 years old. Um, <laughs> went down to University of Brighton, studied sport and exercise science. Did that for yeah three years, came out of it, loved it, wanted to work in sport. And probably like both of you guys know, like you don't just walk into a job in a professional team. Um, and there's about, I don't know, 10,000 other sports science graduates who think they can just jump straight into a team. So I was like, right, I'm not very good at sport. Um, I'm right in terms of the academics. How do I put myself ahead of everyone else? So I either wanted to do a master's or a PhD. Ideally, I wanted someone to pay for it. So started looking at PhD scholarships. I actually looked for a whole year while I was doing a kind of PE teaching job on the side and then got to the point where I was like, right, I'm giving up on this. I'm just going to go into the real world. I'm going to work like normal people. And then I actually got two interviews on the same day, one at Brunel and then one at University of Waikato um, yeah, with the Chiefs rugby team. So yeah, waited a whole year, no interviews, and then two on the same day. So I did the Brunel one in the morning. Did the Chiefs one in the evening. Brunel messaged me the next day and said, 
no, didn't get it. And then Chief said, yeah, you got it. So ended up going out to New Zealand, did my PhD out there, which was in um, basically investigating decision-making, on-field decision-making. How can you measure it? How can you improve it? Like what are the best ways to coach it? Um, which hasn't really been done too much. While I was out there, I was very lucky to be put in touch with um, Eddie Jones, the former England head coach. And every time I'd kind of come back for Christmas or whatever, me and Eddie would, would kind of meet up over a coffee and I'd show him some of the stuff I was doing. And then it got kind of, yeah, two and a half years through the PhD and Eddie went, right, do you want a job with us? I was like, uh, well, yeah, obviously, like, <laughs> I'm a young English bloke who loves rugby, like, of course I want a job. And he went, right, go away, write a one-page document about how you can help England win the World Cup. Did that, sent it over to him, and then, yeah, got brought in. So initially, my role was um, as a research analyst. So basically, he'd send me big projects that would have kind of a data um, focus on them. So it might be, what's the best way to kick or, or what's the best way to attack in, in this certain area of the pitch? I'd kind of look at all of the video, all of the data, and then provide a report back to Eddie and the coaches. Obviously, 2019 World Cup, we got to the final, but but didn't win it. And then after that, I kind of went to Eddie and said, look, I think I can offer a bit more in terms of like skill acquisition background, decision-making, everything I've done in um, in my PhD. And he went, right, well, if you think you can, why don't you come over to one of the camps, see, see if you can actually walk the walk. So I was supposed to just go out there for a week, um, did that, went quite well. And then I was in camp three days a week and then in camp full-time. And, and my role just kind of grew into, it was called training coordinator. So what I'd do is I'd sit with, um, or Eddie would give me a kind of training plan. Head coach would give me a training plan. I'd sit with the assistant coaches and then we'd make sure all the drills were really well designed in terms of like key principles for best learning for the players, make sure all like the timings were right. Cause obviously time's such a premium in, in international rugby. Um, so yeah, did, did that for about two years and then decided to take another role within England rugby as kind of research and innovation lead which was a new role set up and I've been doing that for about a year now how long did that take to sum that up sorry that was something like I was talking for ages no no it's great it's great um especially like I just wanted to ask you something so like we we had a podcast recently where um the person told us like speaking to head coaches you sort of as as someone who's just a small piece of the puzzle essentially you sort of get pushed to one side so I was just wondering speaking to a head coach and offering ideas was it a difficult task and then as the the more you got to asking more questions, were you more sort of uh, experienced or did you know how to sort of feed stuff in a bit easier? And but yeah, how was it? Um, I think it depends really, doesn't it? Like we can use you as an example. You come to me with ideas, but ultimately I listen to your ideas because I trust you. And I know that like, there's actually a lot of thought gone into it. I think head coaches get pissed off if you go to them with an idea, but you haven't thought it through well enough. Um, so my background kind of analysis wise, I'd always have data to back it up. So if I wanted something to get over the line or I wanted it had an idea, I'd make sure that it had some evidence behind it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that trust with the head coaches is, is so, so key. And then I was just, sorry, just to jump in again, like following that is, um, so do you think like being a, a former like data, like training coordinator, as you said, do you think that has helped you understand coaches, what they go through or what that sort of dynamic was like? I think so. And I think... Like the, the big thing that I was pushed to do when I was training coordinator was make sure that everything I did was really well thought through. Even if you come to me with an idea and on the surface level, it sounds great. I want to know that you've thought about other alternatives and you're not just coming to me with the first thing in your head. Um, but I do think like, obviously the relationship piece and dealing with different coaches who've got kind of different values and, and different kind of ways of operating is so important and how you get like the best kind of rapport with that person as well. Spe speaking about relationships, obviously, like you had that great opportunity to meet Eddie and then build that relationship. But at the end of the day, you still needed to foster that relationship to a point where he trusted you enough to ask if you wanted a job. Um, how 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 did you do that? And I think because I think a lot of people say like, oh, I mean, and it's true. You, it's a lot of the times it's who you know, but who you know will only take you that far and it gets the foot in the door, but then you have to do the work to get you past the line, like into the door. 
you know, so I think, yeah, for, for you, how did you do that? And, and for people who are now on that path of meeting people and building relationships and networking, how can they, how can they get the most out of those relationships that they're building? Like, it's so true, isn't it? Like, I wouldn't have got that introduction if I didn't know people who put me in touch. But like you say, that's only the foot in the door. And then you have to do the hard work yourself. I think like with, with those like top, top jobs, you have to show that you can do something different to everyone else and create a little bit of a niche for yourself. So I think my kind of point of difference was I understood rugby to a certain level. I understood kind of data to a certain level with my PhD. I had the kind of academic background again around skill acquisition. And then I just really played on how those kind of three things just kept interacting. So how, how does the data say the game should be played? Does that look like it should on, on the video? And then how would you actually coach that? And then it just creates that big loop. So I think like you, you obviously have to know your stuff. Like there's no, there's no two ways around it is there. You have to know your stuff. And I think just showing like that work ethic, but if you don't know something mm. to go away and go, look, I, I don't actually know the answer, but I'm going to go away and I'm going to come back to you with something mm. and then just constantly adding value. Um, I think that was my big thing. Like, you can't just be a one trick pony in, in some of these environments. You just have to constantly find another way to keep adding value to yeah, keep moving the team forward. Yeah. And I guess, and I guess then, then the second part of that is, is like Matt always does. He, he comes just with one idea and hasn't thought it through at all. No, I'm just joking, but you know, <laughs> so you, you came exactly. into those conversations with like, Hey, this is what I'm doing. And, and actually came prepared. And then, like you said, you know, that builds trust and that's why you listen to Matt most times is because you trust them i think so and like let, let's say for example like matt's come to me and he's worked with a previous team and he's gone oh this worked really well with our team and then i go well mate have you looked at any of our games because we play a completely different way to every other team you can talk about how good the forwards are and stuff like that and how strong they are but that's not the way we play so i think having an understanding of what you're doing is great but how does it apply to the team you're actually gonna potentially be working for because it's not a one size fits all approach. So I think that is really important as well. Like the chiefs who I was working for in New Zealand play completely different to England, but what are the kind of key learnings that you can take from it? And then what would be specific to England that you can move forward? Yeah. And then I'll just going back to just earlier when you were talking about the differences, like being using chiefs as an example, were you like, did you find any differences from club to international rugby? So say, you know, like, being me, like I'd come up to you with an idea that wouldn't run in international level, probably like they'd already expect me to have those ideas and be implementing them. Like, how did you find the working environment or just like level of expertise? Um, but the level of expertise was definitely a step up, like the level of like resource in terms of what we can afford to do and the technology and equipment that we have is, is definitely a step up. I think like the biggest difference between club and country, whether it be England club to England international or New Zealand club in New Zealand international or, or across those, it's just the amount of time you have with the players. Like if you think a club season is two to three months worth of pre-season and then week after week, you've got games. Come into an England camp, you've got one week and then you're playing that was Saturday sometimes. So you have to be so, um, what's the word? every second counts in that environment and you have to really think what's going to add the most value because you can't do everything so what's going to add the biggest bang for your buck mm. so it's not really a place to experiment in international you need to know exactly what you're going to do and squeeze every little like second um that you can out, out of that time in the week so we, we'd we'd even go down to the the deepest level of um if one of the coaches was going to do a drill with the players they might have to do two or three kind of dummy explanations of the drill with the rest of the coaching group to get it so it's perfect. Because if it's not perfect and then you waste two reps with not exactly what you want, then that's two reps out of maybe only 15 you're going to get on that one thing that whole week. So we, we'd go down to that really, really tiny micro level of it. Do you think it's it's impossible to stay in an environment like that for such a long amount of time? If you're... Like say you're there for, I don't know, two World Cup programs then or, or years, then it's just going to be, you know, so much stress. You can't sort of manage to be that micro level all the time. Whereas 
I mean, maybe if you have like a break, like say it's take someone like Aled Walters, who's, you know, gone from South Africa when they won it in 2019 to uh, leaving and then going to Leicester Tigers. And then now he's back in England. So I wonder if he, if he did that, we'll probably got it, get him on next, won't we, David? But um, <laughs> I, got him, I got him on the phone. He's asking. I've been ducking his call. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, just to see if it, maybe he left because he, he wanted to trial some new things that he wouldn't be able to do in such a high intense environment in a World Cup year. Um, because, yeah, it does, it does sound very intense. Do you want me to answer that? Yeah, sorry. Was, it, was there a question there? I think, I think there was a question, question at the start, but then I think I just rambled on a bit too long. And then you just answered it yourself. <laughs> yeah. I'm too on the board. Sorry. Sorry for wasting your time. That was a bad rep. Um, <laughs> no worries. <laughs> uh, just a quick to, to dive in now into the role you've got in your RFU. If you could touch upon like what you're doing. I, I know you touched upon it briefly saying within research and innovation, but yeah, if you could just expand on that a bit more. Research and innovation is something that, that we've done. But it's never been well coordinated across the whole kind of um, performance team. So we've obviously got the senior men's team, under 20s, under 18s, the senior women's teams, under 20s, under 18s. And like, there's never really been like really good synergy across all of that. So my kind of role was to try and centralize all of that. What's been done already and who can learn from it? Because there's a lot of great stuff being done in each of those different teams that other teams could learn from. So it was about consolidating all of that kind of um, yeah good stuff that's going on and share it where it needs to be. And then look at what's next and just be that kind of person who's who's constantly kind of on the ball, seeing what's going on and saying, okay, actually this this other team could benefit from this. This other team might actually be able to add some insight into this. So let's bring them across. I get a lot of suppliers who who kind of reach out to me and and um yeah, talk about their tech and how it's going to revolutionize sport and, and rugby. And like the big thing for me is like what's nice to have and like what's cool and like what would like the kind of punter in a, in a pub go, oh yeah, that, that really add value. And what's actually going to add value because like obviously everything costs money. Mm. Um, so what, what's going to be like the biggest thing that's going to add value to our teams and, and not be kind of just specific for one team as well. I guess. And then do you think you're being a previous like training coordinator and your role as a data analyst, do you think that's helped you massively in deciding what's going to be most effective, like putting it in a practical uh, perspective? I think so. Yeah. And I, I think I can obviously put like different hats on depending on what the kind of product is. So I can put a kind of coaching hat on and go, yeah, if, if I was a coach on the grass, that would, that would really help me. Or from an analysis point of view, go, yeah, I think that would add value. Like, obviously, I don't know a huge amount about S&C, but um, I can kind of Neither. get the first instinct and then, yeah, <laughs> and then pass it on to someone else who can add some add some more value and, um, yeah, kind of go from there. Yeah. And then did, did you see your career sort of go, taking this trajectory? Like it's a bit of a, you know, winding one where you're just doubling into different areas of sport. Um, but, yeah, did you see it going around this? did i see it going like this yeah yeah yeah. Nah, definitely not definitely not um like i think i probably had a, a really really sharp increase to get to working for england when i was 20 24 or something 24 25 um like usually you go through the typical route of going kind of championship and then to a, a premiership academy and then premiership and then not that too that england job not that too okay <laughs> um oh yeah sorry nat too first um so yeah i kind of got to a really like quite high level i guess quite quickly and i guess my big thing was i don't just be comfortable with that like what's the next step like i always want to be learning in whatever i'm doing so as soon as i start to kind of stagnate then i'm going to look for something else but uh, yeah at the moment enjoying what I'm doing and and definitely learning lots. How how was that transition going from kind of from PhD to then working working for England? And like you said that was a huge jump. How did you deal with that? Um because I think I think Matt and I have talked about this as well on on a different podcast is like sometimes when you're at our stage, you don't think you know enough to be getting these jobs that you're applying for. And that if you do get the job, you're like, "Oh, now I need to now I need to do the job." And, and and if you're going like such a big jump and then working all, in all of a sudden, sorry, internationally, how did you deal with that? And I think what were some of the what were the some of the difficulties that you found of making that jump? And what are the things that you learned quickly that that maybe you wish you knew before? I think 
like and probably I, I didn't say this too much at the beginning like so when I was doing my PhD out in New Zealand and I was with the Chiefs I was full-time with with the rugby team so I'd be kind of attached with the coaches and be like in, in very much an analysis role mm. um so providing information looking at data looking at like decision making obviously based on my PhD and I was really lucky to have some some good mentors in terms of the coaches there who'd give me good things to look at but also like listen to me when I did come with what now are probably rubbish ideas um but yeah I, I was thrown into the deep end really quickly and I think the big thing for me was like just stay authentic to who I am like deep down I'm a nerd I love data I love um like research and, and constantly looking for the next thing I care about people and I care about them developing and I've just unashamedly just kind of done that all the way through and just gone look I don't care if you think I'm a nerd I am a nerd um and yeah just just kind of played on that like I guess my biggest challenge going into those environments is I used to be skinny I'm starting to get a bit fat now but I used to be this really skinny tall bloke um like people look at me and think you haven't played good level rugby which mm. they're 100% right I haven't so it was about gaining credibility quickly mm. and I think the way I did that was by going back to my authenticity around caring about people and their development mm. and not being ashamed to say, look, I am a nerd. Everything I do is, is very much um, data informed and I'm just going to try and help you develop as an individual and as a team. So basically playing to your strengths of where, you know, you're really good. Uh, we had another guest say that like, get good at what you love to do and be the best at that. Cause you're going to add value that way. hundred percent. Yeah. There's no point in me going in and starting to talk to them about rugby like and kicking with like no no evidence behind it because they'll just be like, mate, well, I play for the All Blacks or I play for England, just shut up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, definitely everything I do would be either based on research, research evidence or or some sort of data that I have. And then the, this next part of the podcast, we'd, we'd, go, we'd love to go into like sort of coaching and then like, I mean, I've worked with not a lot of coaches, but I work with coaches and I've seen from afar how coaches are in the past, but being welcome to the club and seeing how you operate has been so fresh and insightful, um, as well as like seeing how you interact with the players is just been really interesting to see. Um, and yeah, I've just like loved every minute I've had with uh, TJ so far. So I was just wondering like, how has that transition been for you? Like, was it easy? Because obviously coaches, some go from PGCs in uni to then just go coaching and then coaching, but then you went straight in and then, you know, like, how, how was it? Um, um, yeah, like, I don't think I really spoke about how I got into TJ's in that yeah. beginning bit. I just spoke more, yeah, proper job. Um, but the, the way I kind of got into it, like, I came back from New Zealand and I knew that I'd kind of been placed behind the scenes with um, with England initially, which which was fine. And that's probably where my skill set was initially. So, yeah, that, that was fine. But I was like, I miss the kind of team environment with with the lads so I was like right I'm going to reach out to some clubs I'm going to see if they want me to come down and coach I've never done it before but let, let's give it a go start quite high so I started nat two TJs if they said no then I'd drop down the league drop down the league drop down the league and just end up coaching anywhere like I wouldn't care um called up TJs and they were like oh, okay do you want any money I was like nah and they were like fine you can come down on Tuesday <laughs> so came down on Tuesday I think I'd started off assistant defense coach and then kind of moved up and up and then became head coach within three seasons or something um i guess again like it, it was that credibility piece like early on um tall skinny bloke never played rugby at a high level was quite open about that but but didn't go straight in like really hot like you're doing this wrong you're doing that wrong i think probably i know it's boring but keep going back to show that i care about people show that i want them to develop and show my skill set around data, whatever that can help those guys develop. Um, you also asked a question about developing as a coach, didn't you? Did you or not? I don't know. No, I haven't yet. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. I'm jumping the gun. Do you have our notes in front of you? <laughs> you know what questions we're nah. going to ask before we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now that that was that was initially like initially it was all about just building credibility mm. and just looking for like. I think quick fixes initially, like quick fixes that can show that you know your stuff and show you're credible. And then you can start going into more of the little details after that. And then like from that, how do you think you've developed as a coach? Um, and is there any advice you'd give to someone trying to go through, like say either the conventional route 
um, or just someone who's gone from a different sort of side of sports science into coaching now? Like, what, do you think your core beliefs or values have changed? No, nah, definitely my core beliefs and values haven't changed. And I think if they have, then you're probably in the wrong industry um, because I think you do need to constantly rely on your own values when you are doing all of this stuff. In terms of development, I think initially I wanted to cover everything. And I think as a coach, like you feel very vulnerable going into a game on the Saturday if you haven't covered everything in the week. And my learning was you're much better focusing on two or three things and doing them really well and then trying to cover everything and doing it really poorly. So I think I've been much more focused on like what I think is going to add the biggest value to the team and focused on that. And I think that's, that's a big learning for coaches, like focus on less. I think there's an expression, if you try and chase five rabbits, you catch none. So just try and catch one and just be really good at it. Mm-hmm. That goes yeah. back to what you were saying, even, even sorry, working with, with national teams where you don't have a lot of time and you can't cover everything. You need to know what's going to add the most value or even what you talked about um, making decisions when you're coordinating the system of, of lots of um, companies are coming to you saying, buy this. And you have to say, well, well, what's going to give us the biggest bang for a buck? Because we can't do it all. What can we do well? And I think that is that is very useful, even not in that context, but just to, again, do what you know and do what you're passionate about well, instead of trying to do it all. So you get, don't get any rabbits that way. 100%. And I think also, like, there's no point pretending that you know everything. Mm. Um like and and saying like this is the right thing to do in this area if you're not 100 percent sure i think i read somewhere that if you're really sure about it then go a bit more coach led if you're not so sure about it go a bit more player led and let them work out themselves which i quite like Hmm. um and then you're giving a bit of ownership to the players as well in some areas and like you're learning yourself as a coach like in our team like we've got some great players who i learn off every week and i'm really happy to just go what do you think about this area of the game i'll obviously compare it to what i think and if i think their thing's better then i'm going to adopt it going forwards hmm. I, I mean I, I had first-hand experience of something similar to that where i was one of the tj amateurs kids was coming up and we were doing some speed stuff and he asked me like how would i accelerate stronger and i just started rambling for the next 10 minutes about all these acceleration forces what you could do technique wise and then i realized like probably none of it was going in and none of it needed to go in i just needed to say what you want to do is just explode using those three steps and then bang, you would have done it perfectly. But there's me just talking. And that's something I learned, you know, like through everyday experiences. Where did, where did you learn that? Where did you, cause you've said it a few times and it's kind of, it's, it's hit me a few times in, in different kind of ways of, of not being too big or not having this ego. And you did that kind of when you worked for England, you did it um, when after that you wanted to start coaching and you said you didn't want any money where after all of your experience, you know, I think for a lot of people, that'd be shocking, you know, getting that CV and like, no, like, I just want to coach and I want to gain credibility and I want to go and do this. And then for the third time here, when you, when you're just talking about, um, if a player, if I'm not sure, and a player has a really good idea, I'm going to go with their idea. How did you, where did that come from? And at what, at what can you point to maybe somewhere sometime when you didn't do that and you learned or maybe a mentor told you or or showed you how to do that because they were doing it and you realized it's a good question i feel like i'm on a psychologist couch and like i'm actually like thinking about it really deeply now and where's it all come from <laughs> um and like may, maybe like it's due to me not playing really high level rugby that I have to just be honest about that and then have to show that humility around it. Mm -hmm. But I've always probably been underqualified to do the kind of roles I'm doing initially. Mm. And then I've had to learn myself. So I think there's, there's definitely that like as a growing up, I wasn't a confident child, like in the, in the slightest. So I was always quite quiet and I I sit back and I kind of assess what's going on and and see like how I can kind of learn from it. Don't like being the center of attention. Mm -hmm. Um, Matt might say otherwise, but yeah, don't don't enjoy being center of attention. Not on a so bus. Really happy for other people to speak. I don't think there's ever been a time where I've probably gone over the top and said like, "You're wrong. I'm right. This is what you have to be doing." Mm. And I think if I did, I'd reflect on it very quickly. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't really know. I, I think it's just my personality. I don't think it's something learned. I think it's something that's just 
always kind of been with me through my childhood. Even like primary school rugby, I was slow, um, skinny. <laughs> I, I couldn't be center of attention. Like couldn't 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 light the world up. So I think I'd always been kind of in the background a little bit, just happy to learn, happy to let other people take the limelight and and kind of see where I can add value. Because mm-hmm. I, I guess it's different than as a coach now. Sometimes you do need to make the decision of of actually my way is better because of the experience I have. Um, so it, it's just this balance but you've just said it a couple times over the podcast so i just thought i'd mention it because i think it's i think it's great because obviously it it adds this this sense of people like actually what people say is valuable and they're and you're going to bring it on and you're not there just being like a dictator this is the way my way or the highway and i think you know that as from all the conversations we have that's how you build this great culture of communication and moving forward and just trying to find like matt said kind of pieces of the puzzle and then they all fit together to hopefully build, you know, a winning team or a winning culture or a, a good environment for everyone. And I think like on, on your point there as well, like there are times where a coach has to go, this is the direction we're going in and this is why. But that doesn't mean that there haven't been conversations that happened beforehand. Mm. So every training session, I'll run past Matt, I'll run past my other coaches, ask for input. There's not usually, usually a huge amount, but like <laughs> I ask for input and I, I, I genuinely want that input. I don't want just smoke blown up my ass and gone, yeah, great session, Seb, like, well, well planned out. Like, <laughs> I, I do want input on that. So mm. if there are times where I go, this is the direction we're going in, it's probably had conversations beforehand to to check and challenge my um, my thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, like, obviously, obviously, I knew you were coming on. Um, so, like, I, I, I had to read up on, like, coaches and some of the stuff, like, I read some articles and studies on coaching. And I saw that there were similar themes and difficulties that coaches would experience. And I I was wondering if I could get your take on some of them. And the main one, I think, is the importance of winning slash results. Like as the head coach, it's sort of everyone looks to you if no one's winning. Um, So all the pressure gets put on you. And I was just wondering how how you've dealt with that in different scenarios, club, international, now being the head coach. Uh, Have you noticed any differences? Um. I've found it really challenging this year, um, dealing with winning, especially because we haven't won as much as we we probably set out to at the beginning of the season. Um, but I've become a lot better with it. Initially, I'd take everything kind of on my own shoulders. Um, like there, there's an expression that, like the true feedback you get from the, uh, sorry, the true feedback you get of your coaching is the is the performance on Saturday. So if they lose and if they perform badly, that's a reflection of your coaching. And I I agree with that to a certain extent, but you do have to look at the whole thing holistically in terms of like who you're playing against. Like there's there's so many other factors in it, but in terms of like dealing with the kind of pressure and stuff like that, I think ultimately you can only do what you can do. And I think there's, it's a Dave Brailsford thing that he'd often review his coaching week before the actual, the actual event. So if you're playing on Saturday, you review his coaching week on a Friday, which I really like because although I, I know I just said it a minute ago that the game's the feedback, like you should be able to feedback without the emotion of the game, like win and loss. Because if you win, it doesn't mean everything was right in that week. If you lose, it doesn't mean everything was rubbish. Um, so I think I do get to the point on a Friday night where if I'm happy with the week, I've done what I can do. The result's out of my hands now. Obviously, I can do the warm up and, and do whatever else, but ultimately it's, it's over to the players now. And I've become much better at that. I think also like being really clear about like the message you want to give out, maybe like in terms of to sponsors, to media, to fans, like what is the narrative you're trying to say? If you're winning all the time, is it we're great or is it now we're just looking to improve each week? If you're losing more than you should, like what's the narrative? Like are there better times coming in the next year year or so? Um, So I think having like something really clear and consistent that you give out to players, staff, management, um, fans as well is important. But yeah, like it hasn't hasn't been easy. Um, there's definitely been some sleepless nights when we haven't been performing to the level we we probably set out at the beginning of the season. But I think I'm becoming more mature with it all. And how have you sh- how, how have you seen yourself grow um, through this now coaching role and more of a spotlight role than maybe maybe is like more of a support staff in your earlier roles? How have you seen yourself grow as a leader? And 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 this question pops to my mind. 
just about leadership of if you had to if you had to kind of say one or two things of of what defines you as a leader what would they be um i'll answer that one first a bit because okay. i've forgotten the first question so <laughs> we might have to go back and then to how that. how have you grown um, as a leader was the second one <laughs> okay cool so what what defines me as a leader well matt you you work with me but you give me one and i'll think of the other nice right. nice who's going first that who's was good leadership <laughs> um, you can go first because i want to think about all it. right uh well straight off the head such a good leader i can think of it like that i'd say your your <laughs> honesty your honesty between like with everyone everyone's on the same page because we know that what you're saying is what you're actually believing so we can all just hop on that boat with you if you know that you see other coaches they'll say something but you know there's no substance behind it or they're just thinking about doing something else and then everyone's still like on the fence with it you know so i guess your honesty knowing that you're, what you're saying to another coach is the same thing you said to me and it's the same thing you said to the players at different moments in time. We're all on the same page together. Nice, I like that one. Um, Blowing that smoke again. I, yeah, I love <laughs> that. Uh, I think the other one would be like, I try and like role model what I'm expecting from other people as well. Like obviously I'm not on the field, I'm not putting my body on the line, but I think what would frustrate players or frustrate me if I was a player was if I came up to a session on a Tuesday night, I've been working all day, I get there at seven o'clock and I haven't, I said, coach, haven't planned a really good session. So I think role model in terms of, am I on the ball? Am I really engaged in the session? Is it well planned out? Is it clear what game plan we're trying to achieve and, and the training aligns to it? Is it enjoyable? Like there's a load of things I want the session to be. And I think role modeling that preparation that I expect from my players is, um, is something I really try and do. Um, Cause I think, yeah, if you're not showing good behaviors, you can't expect them from your players. Mm. That goes back to the, Probably like, the same thing with an S and C. Yeah, yeah. That goes back to like the classic, but like boss versus leader where there's like the boss at the back, like whipping everyone. And then the leaders at the front doing the exact same thing. Although like you said, different, you know, you're not, you're not laying hits or, or taking hits, but yeah. Great. Yeah, that, that was I think, like, that the, was great. the thing that I'm thinking, the thing that comes to mind, do you remember a guy called Greg Plitt, like fitness model back in like 2000 and 2008 or something? No, like, he was someone when we when we were in secondary school, there was this guy called Greg Plitt and he used to do like these really American like um, <laughs> like motivational videos and he'd be in the gym and like you can see that he sprayed himself up and he's all like oiled up, like looked unreal. Yeah. And he used to say like, you don't want a personal trainer who looks like they need a personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And it's a bit like that. Like mm -hmm. there's no point you spouting about like fitness and stuff like that. If you're not in that situation yourself, mm -hmm. there's no point me spouting about like preparation to training and working hard. If I'm not doing those things as well. Mm -hmm. And they obviously won't look exactly the same, but mm -hmm. I'm always prepared for my sessions and I'm always working hard. And I think, I hope that comes across. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It does. Well, it sounds like it does. <laughs> if you looked like Greg Plitt while you're waiting, I have. I have. Yes, no, I'll, yeah. I'll save that for after. You started talking about all the oil. I might have to come in on Saturday on the bit on the bus, just oiled up. Hi, lads. Sorry, yeah, quick nice. gym session, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, no. It's been going on from the organisation. That was another key thing that was pulled up in these articles that I read. Uh, making sure everyone within the organisation is on the same page, is organised and buying in. Have you found difficulties in that in previous roles or the role you're in now? Sorry, what was the question again? I missed the first bit. Sorry, about like making sure that everyone involved in the organization, like players, staff, uh, yeah, players, support staff, coaching staff, um, how are they, like, how do you get them all on the same page? And how do you, have you found any difficulties in doing that? Um, I think the big thing is like not just assuming things are going to happen. And just because like, with a lot of these things, like if you've got a vision and it's in your head and you've seen it a million times, it's so, so clear to you, but you can't assume that it's clear to everyone else. So I think you have to constantly like, not like really deliberately, but just check for understanding. Like, oh, like for example, Matt, like, um, trying to think of an example, like, right, our key values this year have been hard work and humility. Like, do you reckon all the lads are working hard? Like, do you reckon that there's some guys who are probably tapering off a little bit? Do you think that it's maybe um, like an attitude issue or is there something else going on? And I think just having those little conversations, but always going back to like your core kind of vision is really important. 
So yeah, it's, it's it's challenging. It is challenging, especially when like as a head coach, you've got forty odd players, but then you've also got support staff who you want to be giving the exact same message to players. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. And like, do you remember Seven Oaks away just before Christmas? Yeah, horrible, horrible week. I cold, see. I see. Like the whole, like pretty much every game in the south was was cancelled apart from our one. I was freezing and all I wanted to do was say, I am so fucking cold. Sorry for swearing. I am so cold. Um, But as soon as I say that, then the players are thinking, oh yeah, it is a bit cold, isn't it? Mm. Or are you sure this pitch is safe? And then that just puts a little bit of doubt. And then as soon as the physios go, oh, it's freezing out there today, isn't it? Mm. So quite often I'll, I'll just have a think about like, what's the potential negative thoughts that could be going through the group? And then what can we say as a support group, all of us, to spin that positively? Mm, mm. Uh, isn't it great that we can play just before Christmas in mm. front of a really big crowd? And that means we get another week off in March. We're all here anyway. Perfect. Mm. Uh, it's, it's, it is cold out there, but like, what, what's the positive we can spin on it? So I'd usually send that out if I feel there's some sort of negative thread that may come through. I'd send it out to the coaching group and go, look, let's keep an eye out for this and let's make sure we spin it positively in our, in our favour. No, and I literally, I remember you actually doing that to getting that message and realizing, oh, 100%. Because I, me just coming into my career, I would have, if one of the lads came up to me and would have been like, oh, mate, it's bloody freezing, isn't it? Just me being so, what's the word? Oh, just like being so fresh out of uni and only learning the theoretical part and a bit of practical, I would have been like, yeah, it is quite bloody, it's cold, isn't it? And then I wouldn't have noticed actually that would play on his mind. And Got through, as the game's gone by where we've been in the mud you know I mean um, Blackheath at home um, you know when it was tough like that or was it always at home and it was just muddy it was yeah. sludge realising okay maybe I, you know when they're complaining oh my boots getting stuck in and just turning a positive I learned that from you and then that's something I'll keep in for the future so it's just getting all these little bites and just realising how big they can actually be in the grand scheme of things it, does, it, made, it made such a difference honestly it makes such a difference I reckon one of one of my managers that reminded me of one of my managers way back said i guess i guess we were all complaining and then i asked him like you're not complaining like why aren't you complaining and he's like you never complain down you only complain up so you only complain to the people above you which is kind of you know for, i don't know why why he didn't do that but it's the exact same kind of thing that you're saying there how was it seeing it from the other side um getting buy in so right now in your position you're trying to get buy in from players and support staff and coaches. What was it that made you buy in when you were working as a data analyst? Probably the two things Matt and I said about leadership in terms of honesty and, and role modeling, that that would be the big thing that I'd look for in a leader to to buy into them. Like I, I've been places where I work harder than the the people at the top. And I I don't I don't like that. Mm. I'd much rather us all like work together regardless of like where you sit in the hierarchy. Mm. And ultimately I just want to be spoken to with honesty. Like if it's good, great. If it's if it's rubbish, tell me honestly, because I I'm really hungry to learn and improve. Um but yeah, like most of the environments I'm in now, the people who sit above me work as hard as I do if like yeah, as, as hard as I do, which is something that I always want to do in in my kind of leadership positions as well. And I guess the key thing is it's, it has to go both ways. So being the head coach, you want that honesty because you want to see how, like me talking to you, I know that you'll tell me I'm doing a shit job, like say a warm-up's bad or something. I didn't bring the loudness. I remember you told me, gave me feedback. Look, I want the lad, I want you to be loud today. So then gets the lads fired up and keyed in and focused. So then, you know, I'd, I'd love that. Because if not, then I just carry on thinking I'm doing a great job when in reality, it's just being a detriment to the team because, but I also need to take that accountability because if you tell me that with the honesty and I'm just there like, okay, cool, and don't take that on board, then it's just a waste. And I don't think there's a lot of coaches out there who do that honesty and it's such an important value to have. I think like you also have to, like with that, like there's loads of things go into it. Like one, I didn't say you were shit. I think you said you were shit. I didn't say you were <laughs> Sorry, shit. I just, I just said like, <laughs> I reckon. I think. I, I think. I actually made a joke about it. Okay, went, mate. I want you to to have to use some um, some strepsils at the end of this session okay. because I want your voice to be hoarse. I want you to be that loud <laughs> and bring that much energy to the lads. So I think I, I used, and it was quite like intentional around using some sort of humour so that it it sticks in your mind. Um, I think I did it at the 
the right time if i if i think back like right in the moment so there's nowhere for you to hide really like you just kind of had had to do yeah. it and it was really fresh in your mind but i think the other thing is like before that i would have had a bit of conversation with you about your day and stuff like that oh yeah no like, the thing that i hate is thinking like players have been at a long day at work you've been at work you get to tunbridge and i don't say hello to you the first thing i do is just bark and tell you to do something mm. i think you have to be like really specific around trying to touch each player i'm not <laughs> i just said touch each player maybe we cut that a little bit <laughs> um but trying to touch base with each player and um just say hey, how, how was your day and then when it is in the session, you're asking them to do something, you know that like, it, it's not just, he doesn't really care about me. He's just barking at me because he wants to win at the weekend. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I think like, although it was one really throwaway comment, there was probably a few other things like that were well thought out to why I thought that would have a big impact on you, which I, I think it has like, cause ever since then you, you, you have improved in that area. No. And I, I mean, that's the one thing uh starting of this uh, coaching section of the podcast, I always said like, it's just been so fresh to see the techniques or stuff that you do. That's so different from what I've seen in other areas. Like the fact that you go up to every player with week in, week out, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, every player, whether they're injured, whether they've been up to see the physios or if they're training and playing on that weekend, it's just a hello. How are you shake of the hand and just, yeah, just getting to know how they're doing. And then we get into the whole spin of things. Once that clock hits seven twenty um i think like with, with that as well like it's not a it's not an arduous task for me mm. because I, I genuinely do care about all of those players and, and people but i am quite specific about making sure i reach out to everyone like it's not something that's out of character but i am really specific about to talk to every player before we get started at seven twenty. yeah and then you recently spoke to me about uh the importance of language as a coach um or, or any member of staff really and i just wondered if you could dive into sort of your experience with going was it up to uh what was it up to leeds hey um no <laughs> uh we did, i did go up to leeds that, that, that was something different but we had um someone come in okay and do some yeah. cpd with, with the coaches at england around language and then we've had other people come into to england camp as well and, and do stuff around language and may I, I reckon it's it's really massive and like, it, it sounds maybe a little bit harsh, but I'll sit and just watch presentations now and just be like, that's really bad practice. Mm. That's really bad practice. Um, based on what like all of these experts have said, like just like really like general stuff. If I go um, at the beginning of the session, right, we're going to, we're going to just do 15 minutes of hands and then a quick run through and, and then we'll be done then people be like, right, session's not important then. You said, we're just going to do hands and then we're going to do a quick run through. The way you could spin that differently is go, right, we're going to have a really focused, energetic start with some some hands, like, and I want real de dedicated practice to that. And then let's make sure we take that into a really sharp team run at the end. And then we're on the road. So I think like it's, it's, it's saying the exact same thing, but I think players will be much more engaged with the second way of saying it than, than the first way of saying it. I'm ready. I'm ready to go now. What's hands? I don't know what that is, but I'm. I I'm wouldn't doing test it. his hands though. I wouldn't <laughs> test his hands. Matt, I don't know why you're talking. I've seen you throw a ball around. Yeah, I got silky. Sorry, I got too got too pipey in it. I got too fast. I'll yeah. sit back down. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, I guess, and then is that something looking back on your experience that you've seen? Okay, maybe like after having that sort of having those experts come in and talk about language you've realized, okay, I do some of those things and then you've been able to improve them massively. Is that something that every coach should sort of have experience in or learn about language? Is it as important as everyone says it is? I think so. Like it's, it's everything you do, isn't it? Like every, every bit of coaching is trying to get a message across and like obviously some of that's body language, whatever, but so much of it's language. And if you can like even just like the ability to get a message across in 30 seconds or less. Because again, if I'm sitting listening to a presentation, they talk more than 40 seconds, like I'm switching off. And like, I know that's bad, but that's literally just how my brain works now with watching like Instagram videos and TikTok videos. You think of that younger generation, like their attention spans, tiny now, mm. tiny. You have to capture them really quickly, quick message, really clear, and then move on to the next thing. Because 
you lose them otherwise. I mean, it's scary. I, um, I remember seeing a study that came out that they did a just a, a quick study on like just a little multiple choice. And these kids said that the most common answer for these kids in the US was a social influencer, like a social media influencer they wanted to be when they grew up. I mean, I remember when it was like astronauts, all these extravagant jobs. And now it's just, I want to be a little TikToker. Um, so it's quite scary. <laughs> what did you want to be, Matt? Uh, SNC coach, day one, I knew. <laughs> Three years old, SNC yeah. coach. Yeah. My dad saw me pick up a barbell and just overhead press it. And you thought, that's it. That's where he's going. <laughs> That's right. That's my boy. Yeah. Then he realized that means he has to squat. So maybe he thought, oh, maybe it's not for me. I don't know. <laughs> Upper body S and C coach. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, no, it's, oh. it's just been so fresh. Obviously, like, oh, sorry. Yeah, go, David. No, uh, well, I was, I was going to change the subject totally. So you, you go, Matt, because. I was just going to go. I was, I was as well. So go, David. All right. I well, was as well. Change we, we haven't talked about your PhD at all, other than it's in decision making. And PhD I don't friends. have any idea what, <laughs> what that means. Well, I know what decision making means, but I have no idea what a PhD in decision making would, would look like. And that was on field decision making, right? So I would love to know a little bit of that and how you use it now, if, if you use it now. Yeah, I won't go into too much depth because I think your listeners will probably start falling asleep. You got 30 seconds otherwise. There, there was a few things. <laughs> yeah, fine, 30 seconds, start the timer. Yeah. Um, I think there's like a few things like decision making, like, and, and you've probably just summed it up perfectly. Like a lot of people don't even know like what it is, like how you coach it, like what you'd even like research into it. And that's why it's probably been coached so poorly previously. And like, I was fortunate to be in New Zealand at the time because they're one of the countries that coach it really, really well. Mm. Um, and there was like a few things that I looked at. So I looked at, um, is there a way that you can measure someone's um, like skill at, at making decisions? And I'd look at specific decisions in terms of like pattern recognition. So can you identify space on the field? Can you identify where kind of players are standing? And then does that have a correlation to um, your on-field performance? Um, the short answer is I couldn't. <laughs> so that was one study that did get published. But like as part of a PhD, like finding something that like, adds weight to that to say, actually, you, you might not be able to do this off the field and have a measurement tool is a good paper. Like, yeah. That's how I'm spinning it. Ab absolutely. Um, absolutely. Like, absolutely. I agree. Like you don't always have to confirm your hypotheses in these papers, I think, and sometimes disproving them is is just as just as strong um, like a kind of outcome. Um, so that was one thing I looked at. I also looked at, and this was probably the bigger thing, was like unconscious and conscious decisions. So like that thinking slow, thinking fast type thing. So there's some decisions where you have to think so quickly, and it is completely unconscious. So let's say like um, defending someone who's going to do a sidestep in front of you it's pretty much completely unconscious and it has to be completely unconscious because as soon as you start going conscious, you think too slow and, and the the players move before you can make that decision. Um, so I looked at like what effect that has in terms of like as a personality trait, what effect that has on your decision-making and then how you can coach specifically like unconscious decisions when they need to be unconscious and conscious decisions when they need to be conscious. Mm. So like Matt, you spoke about earlier and I know it's not specifically decision-making it's, it's more movement skill, but you spoke about that young guy who came to you and was talking about how you can accelerate quicker out of the blocks and you went, you need to do this and this and like your speed, like I, I don't know anything you, you were talking about. And the last thing you said was, what was it? First three. Oh yeah. Focus on your first three steps. Yeah first three steps so rather than giving loads and loads of technical information for what should be something unconscious especially in rugby because you're not in a like you, you catch the ball and then you've got to accelerate out so you've, you've shown that can be unconscious and you've taught that unconsciously if you try and do that really consciously then you're probably going to fuck the player up <laughs> yeah he's going to be he's going to catch the ball and be like hang on a sec i got to think about this first <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it will look right, on the sideline and see me just demonstrate um <laughs> yeah um so like but you see it you see it in so many different things like how you can coach specifically unconsciously you t talk about like punch passing to so catching the ball and then punching the pass across you speak about 
Um, when goal kicking, you could talk about a J line rather than a C line, which again is, is really unconscious, doesn't have loads and loads of technical information, just a really simple kind of model that you can have in your head as you're going through those skills. Mm. So yeah, it's the same sort of thing, but looking at that from a decision-making perspective. Yeah, and I mean, a perfect example, I can't remember the book, but um, it was talking about all these different players that were were choking at these massive events. And they found out that it was just because they were thinking of their every minute detail that has gone into that practice over all these years, instead of it just being just a swift movement that they normally would never think, think about, they would be like, oh, why is my hand placed a bit weird on, say, a table tennis racket? And then it would just go all, all over. And by that first point, they can never collect themselves ever again. Um, well, not ever again, but like for the rest of the match. Yips in golf, um, there's something called dartitis which is literally where you're playing darts and you just don't know how to even release that dart yeah. anymore. You're literally just like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Just because of that pressure, overthinking everything. Mm. But if you can go back to like a really simple kind of keyword or um, like analogy learning, they call it, then that can really help you get out of that like um, conscious rut. No, 100%. And so do you... Do you... I mean, I think I know what the answer is going to be, but do you use that now or is it subconscious and you don't even know you're using it anymore? Uh, no, I, I am quite like conscious with it that like any kind of really technical skills, I try and avoid giving too much like technical information to the players. Yeah. I think like it, there's two things you can kind of do, like actually maybe three things. One, you can probably identify who those key people are who are going to overthink more than others. Mm. And like you can tell that kind of intuitively, I think, mm -hmm. and be really specific around those guys, not giving them too much information. I think when you do give information, just give it in like really small blocks and think about a really like easy way for them to kind of picture it in their mind. Mm. And I think the third thing is sometimes you don't need to coach it. You just need to put them in situations where they're going to get a load of reps themselves Mm. and then work it out themselves as well mm. you don't need to like over coach them and, and keep talking about it just give them enough experiences where they can start um tweaking that themselves yeah yeah well that that's awesome we really want to thank you for coming on it, it's been incredible we have i have one more question for you uh and then and then matt's got a few quick fire questions but but the question and it kind of leads off of the back of what you just said is is just what would you say to to a young coach who's heading into a new environment? And it might overlap with what you just said because that was sounds like an unbelievable three things for a new coach to to hear. But the kind of things that you wish maybe you had heard when you were going into either this coaching role or or into a new environment, um, uh, how to get the most out of that environment and what what to do or what not to do. Um, was it three things you said? Sure. Unless you only have nice. two. Um, no, I'll have to think of a third now. Uh, first one, I think be true to yourself. Like, don't try and be someone else. Yeah. Be true to yourself. I think two, be hungry to learn. Like, hungry to learn, hungry to improve. Mm. I think as soon as you lose that, you shouldn't be working in professional sport because you just become a burden on other people who are really trying to push forward. If you're not trying to push forward as well, mm. I think you become a burden. Mm -hmm. um, third point. Third point. I think if you're in a head coach position, get good people around you that you trust. Okay. Um, I think that's crucial that you trust and you enjoy working with. Otherwise, again, I, I don't think you're going to get the best out of that team. Yeah. That's awesome. No, uh, we we I feel like we could be sitting here for another couple hours just listening to you, which is, <laughs> which is unreal. And I've taken so much from that. I've written, I think, three pages of notes in the last 50 minutes. So we we really appreciate it we have quick fire questions with matt to end it off and then uh but yeah this has been unbelievable matt take take us away thanks for having me both thank you for Before coming on started. there you go <laughs> yeah i appreciate it's it. our pleasure all right so just nice and quickly we'll start off did you play any sport and what sport did you play uh yeah i did play rugby i played um rugby for my stepdad's team cranbrook Played a bit of cricket as well but yeah that was about it those two nice. any item on a deserted deserted island if you could have any item. Uh, mobile. Nike Metcons or Reebok Nanos shoes for the gym? Oh. Uh, I know Josh has the Reebok, so I'll go the other ones. I don't even remember what the other ones were, but I'm not the <laughs> Reebok. Metcons. Uh, what is your biggest fear? Um, it should be quick fire, and I can't think of anything. 
they get you some people have said like an animal. animal or they've gone really deep with it and said never amounts to my yeah because I, I was trying to avoid going really deep and then i said the unknown that's, which is really deep that's, yeah um yeah yeah i'm just leaving it there i can't be bothered to think of another one <laughs> uh most exciting rugby player to watch um at the moment henry arundel awesome and then do i still have a job after this podcast <laughs> yeah nice for now. there you go for now awesome cheers for that seb it was great having you on no worries cheers guys thank you 